He's the offensive line coach at Akron. He's been gracious enough to come back on from his vacation from Mexico, which I'm looking into for my honeymoon, so you'll have to tell me if it's worth it or not. Uh, coach, welcome well, back. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, guys. And I would say uh, I can't, I'm by no means an expert on Mexico travel, but we did the uh, Riviera Maya for a couple of days. We stayed in Aquamal, which is like kind of smack in between Tulum and Cancun, and it was amazing. So I would, I, I would highly recommend it for anyone. Well, you can you can get a roast me here. I am getting married in the fall in September, so you can, you can roast me for that one. <laughs> I'm sure you're getting enough from, from your colleagues. I'll, I'll spare I'll spare you. <laughs> it was an argument I wasn't going to win, so it was a two month argument. Um, her family is traveling from Ireland, and to travel in September is only five hundred dollars round trip. So, mm. yeah, uh, I've got happy wife, happy life. Well, that's the thing; it's been mixed. It's either I get roasted for a week straight or a month straight, whatever it is, or I've had coaches say, "Hey, there's many more football games to coach. You know, one of them isn't going to kill you." And I'm like, "Yeah, you say that." Until we lose, and then I'm the one blamed for it or something because I wasn't there or yeah. something. But you're right. Happy wife, happy life. Um, so you just wrapped up your first season there at Akron. Um, not the first time coaching with Coach Moorhead, but it was your first time at Akron. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to keep up with you guys this season. There was a little bumps, but how do you feel going into year two from the first season? Yeah, Um I mean, positive, you know, uh, really, really kind of really looking at um, kind of excited about the future and kind of where we're going and what we what we're building and what we built already. Um, you know, so I didn't realize this until until Coach Moore had brought it up towards the end of the season um, in a staff meeting. Um, you know, when you in hindsight, when you look back at what we inherited at Akron, um, part of us staying there and it's not a knock on the current players are the ones that we inherited or the last staff that was there. It was just, it's, a, it's, a, it's numbers on why it's a fact, right? It was probably, if not the, one of the worst division one programs uh-huh. um, in the country in terms of wins and losses, margin of victory or marginal loss really. Um, but the one that kind of stands out the most is, you know, everyone talks about the Mac being such a competitive conference and every game being, essentially a toss-up um and, and it's funny because you look at it and literally and i think I, I think i kind of mentioned this a little bit before uh last summer when we talked like every every year in, in each division of the conference there's a worst first story right if ohio you won our division last year and when they bowled they were 10 and 3 they were 3 and 9 year prior yep um you know niu won the whole league you know two years ago and they were over the year before that um, and you know, you know, literally every year, you go back to the last five, six years, and there's one of those stories. Uh, but in the midst of all that, over the last three years, from 2019 um, until 2021, part of us getting there, um, the uh, average the average score of a MAC game that Akron played in was a 17 to 42 loss. So, in a conference that is, you know, kind of known for parity and competitiveness they were non uh competitive so you know really what we realized was we had to figure out a way to make our, our program and our team competitive and have a chance to give ourselves do things to give ourselves a chance to have to look over the fourth quarter 
and either have a lead or be within the score. And we talk to our guys about like, hey, listen, you know, if we do these things, right? We practice well, you meet well, you, you know, hit, hit all the checkpoints um, on the road, you know, throughout the course of the week, you'll look up in the fourth quarter and you'll, and you'll be, you know, have a chance to make a play and, and win a game and whatnot. And I think we kept on saying to the guys and until they went through it four or five times, they almost were shocked at times that, wow, like we're in a one score game where we have a lead in the fourth quarter. So, you know, two and 10 is by no, by no means uh, we got it figured out. I do think we were playing our best ball uh, the last month or so of the season. Um, you know, we had we, we went to NIU, which at the time was a defending conference champs. Akron had not won a game there, I think, in almost 20 years. And we go there and beat them by, you know, a pretty convincing margin. I think it was like by 25 points or whatnot, you know. Um, you know, we, go to, we lost five conference games um, by seven points or less that last part six games of the season. Um, and I think we had to lead in four of those games. And, and you can literally check off a bingo card of how many of, of ways to lose a game that we lost them, right? Like we, we had we had a four-point lead, I think it was, to at home to Bowling Green, uh, fourth quarter, you know, kind of just trying to ice the game. We forced them to punt. They try to pin us back in deep. True freshman punt returner backs up to the two-yard line, which, of course, you know, you told me, he was at five and don't back up for any reason. Poor kid, you know, try to make a play, backs up, muffs the punt. They recover it, they score, and they win by three. And also, earlier in the game, you had a pick six and, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you go to Buffalo, last game of the year, they're fighting for both intention. We're just trying to, you know, keep momentum. Uh, we have a, I forget what the score was, but, you know, we missed two field goals that would have made it a three score game or a two score game, or whatever it was. Um, we force a turnover with like three and a half minutes to go in the game. They're essentially out of timeouts. We had a chance to run the clock out and win the game. We fumbled the fumbled the first handoff on possession and ten uh, on an inside zone play where there's not even a read element to it. Um, and they recover and of course, and then they go out and score, you know, and, and win the game um, by one. Um, you know, we blew a six point lead in the fourth quarter to our rival Kent State and lost by six. We missed a few field goals in that game too. Um, we uh, fumbled the game-winning touchdown, um, and which got recovered for a touchdown the other way against Central Michigan. Um, we dropped the game-winning touchdown, wide open wheel route against Eastern Michigan, which is one nine games last year. You know, so like mm -hmm. we put ourselves in a position to do that, which is which is in hindsight was a positive step forward. Right? We were way more competitive, um, and but what, we're, what the reason why I say it's exciting and and we're looking forward to it is because. We bring back a really, really good core, a core of, uh, of of players on both sides of the ball that I think have kind of worked their way through some of the issues of how to win or lose close games, right? You know, you have a group of guys, whether there were guys we inherited who hadn't been through close games because they just weren't in those scenarios before, or guys who transferred into us from other schools that maybe weren't playing as much in those scenarios. So you really had a whole team of guys that were trying to figure out, you know, how to win a game in the fourth quarter or, or how to not lose a game in the fourth quarter. And I think we've kind of worked our way through some of those growing pains. A lot of those guys are back. We have also added some pieces of some guys that we think are going to help us look, you know, out and, and you know, be a little more, um, you know, decisive in those situations. Um, you know, it's year two in the system. You know, we didn't change offenses. We didn't change defenses. We had very little coaching turnover in our staff. We just lost one 
uh, full-time coach and the whole staff. Um, so, you know, all those things you would think, you know, had a great off season, had a great spring, um, you know, so all, all signs point to a, a, an exciting, you know, next step forward, uh, for the program. Now, what is that? Is that, you know, for us, we think it's, you know, closing out some of those games where you have the lead or you have a chance in the fourth quarter, not being surprised by the, the gravity of the moment. Right. Um, and, uh, and we, that should lead to, you know, you mentioned five or six games by, by, you know, seven or less points. I mean, you flip, you know, three or four of those and now you're fighting for both intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in November, which is really what this program should be aspiring to, you know, to, to play, have a chance to go play in Detroit for a conference championship and have a chance to go, you know, be rewarded at the end of the season by playing at one of these full bowl, bowl slots. Well, I was going to say, I was trying to keep tabs this year on everybody I've talked to, and I saw that where it was close games, and it was more like, you guys beat yourself, so that's a positive, like, hey, we... We take care of business on a couple of things we can control. You win the game, mm-hmm. and now you're fighting for yeah. this. Absolutely, and, and and that's been one of the big themes. Kind of maybe, maybe the two biggest themes for the whole off season is number one, finish, mm-hmm. right? And that's such a cliche term. You know, what does it mean? Um, and, and you know, for guys that you know follow us on social media or or you see a lot of like graphics being posted and, and hashtags and captions with 212, right? 212 degrees. And that goes back to that, you know, that, that book, you know, um, that was written years ago, you know, about the, the extra degree, right? You know I mean? Where at 211 degrees, large hot, at 212, it you know, produces steam and you can power locomotive, you can, you know, change the world, right? And, and you know, what can each of us do as a, as a, as a, as a coaching staff member, a player, support staff member, an administrator, whatever it is, like, what is our extra, what is your individual extra degree and how you know, we, we combine all those together, you know, to your point, you know, can we flip some of those close losses to close wins, you know? Um, and the other, the other big component or theme throughout the offseason has been, you know, become hard to beat, uh-huh. right? You look back at so many of the, you know, one key thing that every coach talks about it. And fortunately it's true is, you know, turnover margin. We, we were the worst in the conference, I think, last year. In turnover margin, we, we turned the ball over way too often in offense, and we did, we didn't create enough. You know, on defense, we did a lot better. As you know, again, we were better in both of those categories as the year went on. We played our best ball towards the end of years. There's no there's no surprise to that, right? Um, but we got we got to do a better job of, of of keeping possession of the football and of gaining extra possessions on defense. Um, and that's that's part of being hard to beat, right? And how do you train that? Well, you know, when you're in the off season and you're doing your winter conditioning stuff, you know, how much detail can you layer into those drills, right? How much detail can you layer into your accountability stuff with your players? Um, because that's all part of becoming hard to beat. You know, because a lot more, you know, is a lot more games are lost than are won. Yeah, high school football and college, but even the NFL. Right. And another good point you brought up, if you look at all the teams in the MAC, if the coaching staff stays, they do pretty well. Like you look at Ohio, those coaches don't leave. Um, Ken State for a while, they didn't leave till just recently. Toledo Mm -hmm. and all them. If there's no turnover, they seem to do well because things start to, like you said, at at the second half of the season when they first get there, then it just rolls. But then you never know. NIU was really good last year and then they struggled this year. You know, so it just kind of, if you guys stay together, I was thinking that I was looking at all the teams. I'm like, yeah, those coaching staffs don't leave. And if they don't leave, they do very well, like year in and year out. 
Yeah, yeah. I think if you have a good plan and, and and you're consistent with it, right, and you stay true, I think you know. Number one, you can recruit to it, which is a big thing, you know. Um, number two, I think your current players, um, there is a certain level of comfort, right? Like, like they know, you know, how you're going to react, and you know, when you're down by two scores, and they know how you react when you're up by, you know. So there's not like there was so much, and, and you forget about it. So it's there's always a feeling out process year one, right? It's just, it is what it is, but it's even more so when the team that's taken over has struggled as much as they have here in the past. Uh Um, Because like literally not only are they learning you and your reactions, they're literally learning what it's like (laughs) to be in a, in a close game. Right. Right. And and I'm, I mean, even, even our first one of the season, which was the the opener against St. Francis, which is a really, really good FCS team. That went to overtime. That, quite frankly, we probably should have lost. Um, you know, and I remember, you know, I, I think at halftime we were either up by three or down by. I mean, it was a close game. Holy, mm-hmm. I mean, no one pulled away. Um, and I think our kids thought, well, you know, they're an FCS team, and they're not even they're not even a fully funded FCS team. Uh, we're going to draw over them, and that wasn't the case. I and mean, they were really well coached and played really, really hard. Had good players. I mean, a bunch of their guys transferred to the Power Five programs at the end of the season. Um, but my point is, I remember walking in the locker room at halftime after we had our coaches meeting and talking to, to my players and saying, "Hey guys, like this is a fist fight in a phone booth, mm-hmm. and this is what this this is what college football is. Like college football, like you know, you watch Alabama play against you know, you know, uh, I don't know Morehouse College or something, or whatever, and beat them by seventy points. That's the exception, not the rule. Most of college football, for 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 those of us who you know don't coach in those places, it's you know, grinding out wins and, and taking pride in that, taking pride in, 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 you know, being hard to beat, taking pride in finding a way to make a play or not make a play or whatever it is to, 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 to win those close games. It's a lot more like the NFL than it is like, you know, the SEC versus an FCS program. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to keep on hammering that, hammering that. And eventually I think our guys, you know, kind of understood that, I think, you know, um, towards the end of the year, like they were not surprised when, you know, um, we 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 had some success this quarter and got up early, and they also weren't, I think, shook as much when the team answered back and 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 tied it up, particularly in the fourth quarter. You know, so um, you just got to have the, the, that, that kind of punches mentality of like next play, next play, next play, because you have you know that you have a chance to to, to go win that play. Right, because um, another cliche type of thing people talk about is culture. You know, and. And I could be wrong. I thought of it in COVID. COVID, I was big on culture. Like, what is culture? And then this past off this off season, I'm like, what does culture even mean? You know? And it's like the standards. So what's your standard? And you've hit it at it like, hey, we're gonna be tough. We're gonna be mentally tough. We're gonna be good people, which turns into we're gonna compete. It all turns into wins. You know, people talk about culture, culture. Well, we all say the same thing. Then it's how do you act upon it and coaches. And so like if you guys aren't shook, they're not gonna be shook. Like this is this is the standard. Like this is who we are. Like you said, the two and seven is not, or whatever the record was, is not the standard. And if they understand mm-hmm. that, then it's going to turn into, hey, that that's not the standard. And we're going to tell the guys that recruit come in, hey, this isn't who we are. Like this is what we want to be. And so if they should see positive signs, and it should turn into wins. You know, that's that's what I've been studying all off season is what is culture, what is this, how do you do this, and if you keep it the consistency you know, like the Alabamas of the world and all that stuff, it turns into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I, I think it's, it's one of the, I think, to your, I think to your point, it's, 
it's such a quote unquote buzz term or buzz word, and it's such an and, 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 and in a lot of situations, it's such an empty word yep. because people can kind of morph it, uh, you know, say whatever they want to say or how they want to say. It. Um, I think it's really easy to say. Um, you know, our culture is this, or we stand for this, or we're going to build a culture of, you know, whatever. Everyone, everybody, everybody wants the same thing, right? Toughness, right. you know, uh, mental and physical toughness, right? You know, um, perseverance, you know, um, you know, being good teammates, you know, um, being responsible, um, everyone, you know, graduating and going academically, all those type of things. Um, but if, because here's the thing, like, especially when you're managing, I don't care whether it's a high school team of 25 guys and at our level, a college team of 110 guys in Moshe. Like, situations are going to come up almost daily uh-huh. that are, are going to challenge your culture, right? Um, and not even necessarily by the kids being, um, you know, um, like divisive, right? Uh-huh. Just like their kids. Like, they're going to skip a class. They're going to oversleep an alarm. They're going to miss, you know, a train field. They're going to miss... Or whatever, right? they're going to get in trouble after they're going to get in trouble in, in the community sometimes, you know, with alcohol or something or whatever. Right. And how you, you know, if you say, hey, our culture is this, that, and the other, and then if you don't act that way when that situation comes up because of who the player is, you know, because you recruited him or because you know his dad or, you know, whatever the hell it is, he's a good player as opposed to a bad player, scholarship as opposed to walk on, whatever, I think that erodes away. You know, at what you're trying to do. So I think number one, uh, and I think I think Coach Moore does a great job of this. I think it's very very clear um, with you know the expectations, uh-huh. very very clear with what are your non-negotiables, right? And and, and quite frankly, to be honest, I think you got to be careful sometimes with, with what your non-negotiables are because you don't want to put up a corner where okay now I got now I got I, I got to kick my best player off the team because he missed a class. Right, like that's going to happen, right. and that's probably like that. Like the, the it's kind of like the the, the American um, court system. Like the punishments are somehow fit the crime, right? and you know, it's, it's not overreact for for a small minor offense, right? Now, like we have non-negotiables in our program, and they're pretty. I would imagine they're pretty standard across the board for other programs. You know, you know gun violence, you know, no violence against females, um, you know, no, no habitual illegal drug use, no mm-hmm. stealing from teammates. Uh, if you do one of those four things, there's really not a whole lot of conversation to be had. Um, you know, the kind of person we want to have in our program. And I think every, I think if we polled all 110 guys and say, Hey, listen, player X, you know, was caught stealing, stealing from someone else's locker, mm-hmm. uh, or was caught, you know, you know, beating up his girlfriend or, or someone or, you know, uh, whatever. Um, I think that most people, both in the program and outside would say that's, that's probably a person you'll want in our program. You know, um, but if it's a guy that is, you know, misses a class or is late for a workout or something, yeah, that has to be punished and has to be dealt with immediately, but probably not with the same, the same consequences as some of those non-negotiables, right. you know, um, but you also can't, you know, super under the rug and I think it didn't happen because it needs to be consistent and it needs to be consistent, whether it's the starting quarterback or the fourth string center. Right. That's where I think a lot of, that's where I think a lot of, Coaches sometimes at, at all levels, and I've seen it in the NFL, and I've seen it in high schools too. You know, um, I think sometimes they kind of look at the player first, and then the action second. And and you should be able to have the same reaction to every action, and almost take the player out of it. I think. Right, because I've been a part of that where 
when I was a 25 year old OC and I thought I knew everything, um, our running back was like talking back to the running backs coach, running backs coach is like, do I have permission to kick him out of practice? Talk him back to this. I was like, yeah, do it. So he did. Head coach comes in and says, well, we believe in second chances. Let's, he could still start. And I was like, no, cause you're going to show the kids. They could just yell at the coach and do whatever. And if they get kicked out of practice, nothing happens. And I looked at him, I said, he will not play offense. Like that's not what we need to do. So he sat the first quarter and all of a sudden he was on defense and they were saying, Hey, put him out on offense. I was like, no, I don't even want him on defense. And I, I told the head coach who was brand new. I was like, that, that needs to be the, the standard right there. I was 25 years old telling him like, no, like you're going to show these kids that they can do what they want. And that's not what it is. You're going to reward them for something. And then fast forward to 2018, I'm at a different school. A coach told me, he goes, Hey, I was building up this team a couple years ago. We were four and four. If we won one more game, we're going to make the playoffs the first time since 1999. And he's told them, he said, the rule is you miss the bus to an away game and your parent drops you off. You don't play because you missed the bus. Starting quarterback missed the bus. So he looked at the quarterback and said, you're not playing. They lost. And he's like, I'm not sacrificing me for that. And fast forward, people don't miss the bus now. Now he's got it rolling. Now they win eight games a year. They go eight yeah. one every year. But he's like, I'm not sacrificing it. And so I just compared the two coaches, and I'm like, I, you know, I worked for this guy in 2018. And I'm like, that's what he has. And now he gets he gets 65 kids on his varsity team alone now. So he's got to build mm-hmm. up because he never sacrificed. Now, like you said, there's wiggle room each year. You got to adjust a little bit, especially with the times, like how we're doing things. But he's like, I don't wiggle room on certain things. And now they know they they know what we ex- what we expect. And then they start telling freshmen or new kids, hey, this is what we do. And then they start to buy into it, and then it just rolls. So now they're winning conference. They're winning conference almost every year. They get to the playoffs, and now that's the standard. Now it used to be we don't make the playoffs. It's been since 1999. Now the Mm -hmm. standard is since 2018, we compete for the conference, and we compete to try to win a playoff game. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the point you made about, well, now the seniors – or the other guys are talking to the freshmen or you guys about it. I think that's that's I think that's what we're all in the end of the, at the end of the day trying to get to in terms of our culture is where number one your current players are the keepers of the culture. Mm-hmm. But more importantly they're the, the more importantly they're the transmitters of culture. You know, and that, that's honestly why like I mean I don't want to say this is my favorite time of year. Well we're on vacation so it kinda is um but um it, it's it's my favorite time of year in terms of that part of the culture because we're not there and and even even in, in, in the early part of the summer in June when we are on campus most days we're not like we're, we're not like in the weight with the players right we're not you know we're 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 on the field with them or in the meeting room with them for like you know less than two hours a week or whatever it is um, so they get to spend so much more time with just themselves and maybe the strength coaches. Um, and then also, like, for example, like in, our, in my room, you know, we have 15 kids um, who are in our room right now. Four of them are new transfers. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have, you know, we have two, two new scholarship uh, freshmen and two new uh, PWO freshmen who will be joining us in the next month or two. Um, so, like, 
I don't, I'm not back on campus until July, like 15th. Mm-hmm. Our freshmen, our, our, our non-video freshmen are moving in on Sunday. Um, so our, our upperclassmen are going to be solely, I don't say solely, but heavily in charge of making sure those guys know where the, the meetings are, the meeting rooms for the first team meeting, making mm-hmm. sure those guys know, you know, what, how to, you know, dress for the workouts, making sure they know, you know, um, where the, where the train table is for dinner and lunch and that kind of stuff. And I love that. Not because I'm lazy and I don't want to do it, because to me, that's them now, you know, transmitting culture. So before I ever meet with our freshmen formally and explain to them kind of, you know, hey, this is what we do. This is what this, this is what your level of expectation is, um, which I will do when I get back in town. Literally, they'll just do number heads and say, yes, because we know because you know, the three, four, five older guys we have who have been kind of deemed as leaders, they've already told us already. And more, and more importantly, we've watched them do it, mm-hmm. watch how they carry themselves, and we're just doing what they do. And I think that, that that's what, that's like the holy grail, right, that we're all trying to get to in terms of our culture and our teams. It's hard because, especially in this era of college football with the transfer portal, I mean, hell, you, you have less and less and less older guys, or at least older guys who you've cultivated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have grad and stuff. Um, so it, so it, that's becoming harder and harder and harder to accomplish. Yeah, that kind of leads into di- two different thoughts. Like, I know for me, like, when I meet with the old linemen, I still set what the head coach wants. So if this is his rules, this is what he wants, this is what he does, then I kind of have my own, as long as I don't overstep his. And so, like, with your group, do you still have, like, your thing? Like, hey, we have the standards of the head coach and the program, but then here's mine on top of it. Because that's what I do. I'm like, this is – this is I say certain things to them, and I'm like, this is what I expect out of you. This is his thing. Now here's mine on top of that, right? Like, if I walk through school, this is how you act. Because I'm different. I can walk through school and see what they're doing. Or, mm-hmm. like, this is how you talk to me. This is how you do this. When we're on the practice field, this is what you do. When we break down after a drill, this is what we say. Do you do that in your room? Like you have your own personal touch to it with like a, not culture, I guess, but whatever is built there. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and I think, I think you have to, right? Because ultimately you are the head coach of your position. Right. And you're, and you're responsible for not only their performance on the field, but also their performance in every walk of, of being a student athlete. So you better put your own touch right now, but it also has to, jive very well and mesh very well with what the head coach's vision of, of what the culture is and, 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 and what he wants to get done. So yes, uh, we absolutely have um, a set of standards and a set of uh, expectations and uh, a culture, if you will, that we try to cultivate in our room. It's, it's maybe somewhat different um, uh, and unique to us than other other groups, but it has to, and it always will, kind of fall in line um, with what the head coach wants. It'll never be counter um, to what the head coach wants, right? So, you know, head coach, you know, he want, he's going to emphasize, you know, preparation, effort, execution, right? You know, on game day to practice. Well, obviously, we're not going to de-emphasize those things, but we're going to, to me, I think as a, as a, as a, as a assistant coach, your job is to kind of, in terms of this context, your job is to kind of drill down, right, and unpack a little bit of to what is 
what does the head coach mean when he says this and then make it palatable to your players? Because a head coach delivers a message that has to be somewhat palatable to 110, you know, uh, sets of ears, mm-hmm. right? You know, so when he, when he gets up in the very first team meeting that we have before training camp starts, when the whole team is together for the first time, um, you know, he's going to lay out, you know, certain levels of expectation and, and, and codes of behavior um, and so on, so on, so forth. And number one, certain guys just have a hard time dialing in and focusing when they're in a group of 110, a team meeting, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're automatically going to lose some of that message anyways, just because of the setting, right? You know what I mean? And then obviously as a, as an assistant coach, you meet with your guys daily, whereas a head coach when he has maybe two or three team meetings a week. So, you know, maybe their, their learning styles, way better than, than than the head coach does, right? You know, right. Um, and also, you know, the demands of your position and how you're going to coach it more than he does. So you let him do his thing. And then, you know, like every time, I say every time, I would say almost every time we have a team meeting that's not on practice day or something, it's not a football-related meeting, I'll keep my guys afterwards and try and kind of unpack a little bit and drill down. Like, for example, like we had a team meeting at the screen practice. Hey, screen practice is over. Here's the calendar going forward, right? We have a, you have your extra meetings this day. You guys are free to go home whenever finals are over. Here's the first day. To, you know, here's our first, or your, your return date. Our first team meeting is this day. Yada yada yada, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, make sure you get this, these three or four, you know, book book return. Check in with your advisor, whatever, before you get done. Um, that's all. That's all on a PowerPoint, you know, uh, slide. In a team meeting for everyone to see, but again, there's 110 guys. That there's some guys taking notes, some guys are kind of like, you know, state, you know, certain often space counting sheep or whatever, you know. Um, so I got to kind of drill that back in. And there's certain guys I know that I got to call on them. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what they the return to you know, and so again because you don't want to ever assume because then you know again you're, you're the head coach of your position, and you know two months later, a month later. It's time for the first team meeting, and you know, certain certain guy booked the flight the day after, the day before, or whatever. Um, so, I guess long short answer to to, to your your question is a hundred percent yes. We have um, additional, I guess, or what's additional, more detailed, mm-hmm. I think, sets sets of culture standards in our room, uh, but they are, but I hope at least they're completely in line with with Coach Moorhead's. Well, and the offensive line room is the most fun, in my opinion. It's the best room. I've I've been in quarterback rooms. I sit there and listen. I sit to wide receivers, and I'm like, the offensive line room is the best. We have our own language. We have our own ways of doing things. We have our own whatever. It's the best. And the head coach will come in and sit in offensive line meetings, and he'll go tell everybody, hey, you should go sit in Coach Steve's room because he's all over the place. He's joking around. They're having fun. They know what it's, it's – it's the best. Like, it's – it really is. It really is, and and you know you you generally don't deal with a, with a lot of ego in the room, right? Which is great because everyone can kind of laugh at themselves, and 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 it's okay to to, to do that, right? Because you know as big guys, we kind of all learn it's kind of almost a defense mechanism sometimes, right? Yes. You know, so you know you learn that uh, you learn you learn so much. Like for example. Um, one big thing that we're a little bit different on um, than probably other groups for sure in our building, maybe other, other buildings is that, so for example, let's say that um, we have a player 
uh, who's a young guy who's just kind of having having a hard time with um, his off-the-field accountability things. And again, that could be some small, like, just going to study hall or mm-hmm. getting his homework to return it on time or you know, making it on time to, you know, mandatory treatments or meals or workouts or whatever. Um, you know, if it's an isolated incident, if it's a once, you know, everyone's going to screw up sometimes, right? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so we don't overreact to that. We don't punish the whole group for that. You know, we'll, we'll take action on that one individual and he'll, he'll pay an immediate, you know, quick price, but he'll get over it. Um, but when it becomes a habitual issue, um, now that affects the whole group. Why? Because, well, especially if he's a guy, because, you know, let's face it, like, I think football in general is a great, the greatest team sport and all there is because it's so intertwined. But I think the offensive line probably lives that more than any other position on the field, right? You know what I mean? Like there's five of us out there and if, you know, from the right guard to left tackle are all going the right way, doing the right thing, but the right tackle is doing his own thing, then we're screwed, right? It's a sack, it doesn't matter what, what happens. And, and we're not going to say where the right tackle is, we're going to say where the O-line stands, right? Um, and that kind of stuff. So if it becomes an issue where it's, it's habitual or it's becoming a distraction, we will all pay the punishment mm-hmm. and, and all, all be, all have the discipline of the one who screwed up. Right. Um, and that, and that could be frustrating at times and, and guys get angry and I get it. And that's, it, it's almost done for that reason because like I would hope to God and I, I've done this other schools and other places and it's worked out for the most part. Um, some guys have a hard time being self-motivated, mm-hmm. right? Some guys have a hard time being self-regulated. Um, and that's okay, especially when you're a younger guy, because it's just, it's just, it's not natural. Right. Um, but when you're at, when you see a direct and immediate impact on your actions or lack thereof, your choices or lack thereof, um, your judgment or lack thereof, um, on all your buddies and they didn't do a damn thing wrong and right. they're all being punished, right? That happens in the field every single play, but it's just not magnified as it is one everyone's doing up downs everyone's doing you know everyone's up at 6 a.m on a saturday because you couldn't get up and go to class you couldn't go eat a free meal or you could eat whatever um so there is a little bit of positive peer pressure uh probably more so in our group than others because this is how we're wired Mm because we're so interdependent on each other for our success right um so yeah that's 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 probably one thing that we're a little bit different on with some other groups yeah and then i don't know about i don't i was gonna say like is there anything in this first year where you guys came in like we have to change this or maybe we couldn't do this like for me i realized i beat these old linemen into the ground last year it was so like we have to get people off the ball so we're hitting a lot we're hitting a lot we're hitting a lot then i thought back on i was like we're probably exhausted when it comes to game time like we're just killing them so this year i sat them all down and i said part of our room is we have to strive to be perfect. So I'm going to make things streamlined, not simplified streamlined. I'm going to make it where we can do it, hold each other accountable. You're not going to get as many reps because I'm not going to kill you. But guess what? You better strive to do it perfect and you have to be more hyper-focused now. Like, and don't be afraid to make a mistake and we're going to move. And that's one thing I changed. Like the old school way I have to get out of my mind. I'll, like for some things, there's some things I won't be not old school. Like, like you said, if you screw up, yeah, you see that track over there? We're going to go to the track and we're going to get you right or something. But when it comes to like, I want all this time, I'm going to hit all the time. I can't do it. 
I, I, I think yeah. back to when I was playing, like that just killed me. And I'm like, I am killing these kids. Like we got to be fresh. We got to be ready to go. We got to be mentally ready to go, especially as a lineman, because mentally we got to think within those couple seconds. And so that's one thing I changed about myself. And so I'm asking coaches, like, have you ever found yourself changing like that? Like changing with the times is what I call it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think that I had the same experience or I've had the same experience. Well, at least not recently, uh, because I think power football is so much more regulated now mm-hmm. uh, with how much you can hit, when you can hit, how much you can pad them up and that kind of stuff. So um, I don't think that we like, like that component of it. I don't think was something that we probably said we're going to change or whatnot. Um, what I do think. Um, so, for example, um I think in general, young people now and, and, and kids, you know, the, the age that we coach them, um, mm-hmm. they're much, they're much better visual learners now mm-hmm. than, than they were. Um, or I should say, there's more visual learning now than there was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Right. right. Cause everyone, every, everything's now, you know, has some kind of a digital component to it. Um, so for example, when we're installing a game plan, Hey, listen guys, like, you know, we're going to carry, um, you know, split zone, we're going to carry, you know, GT counter, we're going to carry one back power, and we're going to carry, you know, pin and pull, whatever, uh, into this game plan. Um, when you say those words, that can paint a picture. Yeah, we get it, whatnot, you know, it's how we can really react to it. Um, and in the past, I would just say, hey, guys, you know, these are, these are the formations we're carrying, these are the play, these are the runs we're carrying out of these formations. Um, and I would have a kind of a quick setup of like, uh, like a quick intro cutup of the opponent on for Tuesday morning or Tuesday mm-hmm. afternoon. Um, what I have, what I did a little bit more so the last like, quarter of the season, which I think had more success with us having better practices on because you know Tuesdays are hard because they've been off for three or four days from you know from actually playing right because you play Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sunday, you might practice, you might not, but even if you do, it's going to be a very, very light, non-padded, you know, glorified walkthrough pretty much. Then they're off on Monday, and they're a little bit off all day Tuesday morning, too. They have class and study holiday. So they don't really get back into true, like, competitive football mode after the game on Sunday to Tuesday afternoon, mm-hmm. right? And then you come on Tuesday afternoon, and you have an hour, hour and 10-minute meeting to kind of introduce the opponent, what they do, how they do it, who the good players are, and how we're going to try to attack them on first and second down. Um, so all that dozen of information um, and trying to, and trying to, and there's always some wrinkles, you know, on Tuesday, you know, everything, you know, each game plan. So you're trying to, you're trying to visualize that, kind of digest it, and then go out there and practice with full speed and full pads. Because usually Tuesdays, Tuesdays are your only full padded day of the whole week, and it's your only legitimate first second down game plan day because one's more situations there's more of a more of a, more of a, of a wrap up uh-huh. so what we did towards the last quarter of the season which i thought was really good was we actually i would always make uh a, 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 uh like like play cutups like hey this is how this team defends inside zone you know split zone fan schemes you know wide zone whatever uh-huh. um but I started kind of cherry picking those cutups into our like intro cutup. Um, and now when I say, Hey, this team's a bat cat team on split zone, 
like they could actually see them back tapping. Hey, this team spills on counter more than they box. Let's show them a couple of some two three examples of that more. So mm-hmm. you it forces you to be a little bit more uh concise with your with your beginning part of your meeting. Hey, like, you know, um this is you know what they do and, and, and everything. Um so I spend probably less time now than I did before on the opponent overall like generic intro. Uh-huh. Um I had a GA last year who's at Notre Dame now, uh, Rob Delaney, who had I've known him for two years, and he made a really concise, like one page kind of sheet graph type thing that had all the current information on there. Like, hey, this they're they're the percent and, and for us, we don't even know if they're over or under, if they're whatever it's are they four down or the odd, uh-huh. right? How what are those percentages? Uh, what's the breakdown of pressure, no pressure, right? And what's the breakdown of movement, right? That's it. That's all we really care about, right? Like, right. how much, how much are we seeing? It's four down and three down. How much movement and pressure are we seeing? And what, are, and, and that's what she's on for a second down. Um, so again, spending less time on kind of your, your quote unquote scatter report BS stuff and more time on what are we seeing? What do we expect that they're going to, how they're going to play and react to defend what we're going to run? Um, and show them like moving pictures of that. Right. Um, so that's one thing that, that I'm definitely going to kind of lean, lean in more so on going forward. Um, because I just think that, you know, guys learn better that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, to, to sit there and say, especially for us in our offense, like we're no huddle. Um, we're, tr- we're not warp speed, but we go pretty fast. Right. Um, like our guys don't even know formations, nor should they know formations. Like they, they don't know if we're in two by two or two by one. They're, we're in, you know, trips to the field or not, or no tight end. They don't even know that. Um, there's no, there's no way for them to know that. So to spend time talking about how they defend two by two as opposed to two by one, um, that doesn't really affect their daily life very much. You right. know? So let's, so let's spend more time. You know, on what they need to know concisely to go and actually be in front of the high level, right? And I don't know if you see that at the college level, but for high school anyway, there's there's more questioning of things, and so I find myself. I was telling a coach yesterday on the I'm getting the podcast ranked back up, so I'm getting people like I have three today and three tomorrow. I'm talking to coaches. Oh, nice. Talking to coaches all over, and yeah. I told a coach I was like I found myself a couple of years ago. And as soon as I show something, I immediately say why or like how it works because I because they because years ago, like I said, I was twenty five. They questioned it, but you took it personal. You were like, "What do you mean you're questioning mm-hmm. me?" Well, now, mm-hmm. but I think it made me better actually with them at questioning it years ago. Now I say mm-hmm. why because it helps me out, and then it helps if a freshman O line coach is sitting in there, they need to know why too. So if I immediately just say it it makes me better because then I'm thinking and then they understand it right there. So I'm like, we're running inside zone. We're going to this guy because of this or wide zone. The reason why we do this, the reason why I'm having you guys use these steps is because of this. And this is what it does without them even asking me like mm-hmm. immediately. I don't know if you saw that at the college level, but at least for high school, they question it a lot. Then it just found our, all of us, we realized that we're like, Oh, we immediately say why? Like immediately. Yeah, I, I think that I think you're a hundred percent right. So there, there's that that famous um, head talk from a couple years ago from Simon Sinek, right? To, to start with why, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, it talks about you know why Apple, you know, is so much more you know successful than you know company X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. and it's because of you know their mission statement starts with why. And 
when I heard that, first of all, it made perfect sense. But second of all, it made me realize that I think I've been doing that my whole career, not because, you know, I'm some genius, you know, whatever, because I'm not, mm-hmm. but because, because the, I look back at, at my career and, and my history as a player, um, I wasn't, I was an overachiever that was, you know, I was above the line, athletically above the line, you know, uh, but not a whole lot of, I wasn't like a first round traffic or anything, but I was able to play and have a good career in high school and college in the NFL because like, I, I knew the system kind of in and out. Like, and I was the one sitting in the front taking notes, asking, well, why are we doing that? Not this, or why does, why would, why does this play comp with that play? And or why, why are we making this such a protection? And, and, and again, it was never to question the validity of the offense or the, or the scheme. It was more so to understand it forwards and backwards, because that, I felt like that was my, my angle or my, my way to make sure I kept on playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I probably approach coaching the guys the same way, right? Like, hey, guys, like this week, we're going to run more split zone than, you know, insert zone because of how they fit it, right? Right. You know, and and now that what that does do, and I'm going to go up on a, on, a, on a tangent here. What that does do is that forces your players to understand a little more schematically, right? Like big picture, right? And you have some guys who, like, for example, like we, we started a freshman left tackle for the last third of the season last year, right? Two freshmen. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I said in the me room in terms of the whys and the hows, and that, went over that kid's head. You know what I mean? He just wanted to know, coach, like, who do I block on this play? Like, which are we going? Like, what's my technique? Like, that's what I want. And even that was at times too much, which is fine because it's too freshman. I get it. You know what I mean? Um, but if you keep, but if you keep on rehashing those things out and re-talking about them week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out, then you know, hopefully by the time that kid gets to week twelve of his freshman year, now he's operating like a sophomore. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the time by the time it's year two, year three, you know, now he's thinking like a senior, um, and he and he can a self-diagnose and get himself right. Like that, that to me, that's the best. Like. We got to that point later on in the year this year where we come off the sidelines and, um, hey, you know, we got stuck on third and short. What happened, right? And I'm before I can even get an answer from the box, you know, my junior right tackle was telling me, hey, coach, I took, you know, I didn't take this for work and I got beat inside. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's all me, right? That A shows a lot of trust and maturity, but B shows that, you know, when they're, when they're self-diagnosing, you know, um, then they're speaking your language and they're thinking, you know, in your terms. And that to me is where you want to be as opposed to, you know, Hey, you know, I, I did social beat you. I don't know. Or he beat me inside. Like I need more than that. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and that's where, that's where, you know, we're trying to get to. Yeah. And then I started to be more lenient, I guess, when it comes to technique, like I coach technique. I tell them this is what I want, but like we just did it. We were doing like double teams the other day and I'm filming it. Then we're in the, in the meeting and instead of maybe cause like galloping, I, I want them to gallop instead of galloping, mm-hmm. they just turn and ran. Now I tell them like, Hey, what'd you do here? And they're like, well, I just turned and ran, but they had a good block. And I said, now I tell them this in a game. Well, I accept that if we actually got like three yards out of it. Now the older guys are like, yes, the other kids are scared. They're like, no. And I'm like, no, I would, <laughs> but realize that we keep having to strive to do this technique for a reason because maybe you got the block now 
when we play a really good team or a team that's going to come in and try to combat that, they might beat you. A good defensive lineman is going to beat you if you don't do this. But mm-hmm. I, I, I'd be positive with them now because I'm, I came into this year saying I'm not going to get my heart rate up over like 130. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, and I said, you know, I, I want you guys to not be afraid to make a mistake and then understand what the mistake was, see it, and then when I say these things to you, you understand. And I'm I am finding slowly if they're not afraid to make a mistake and they're not going to like freak out or like get scared, quote unquote, or like Coach Steve's going to mm-hmm. yell at me again, you know, like then they start to take ownership of it. Then like like we've been talking this whole time. Then your experienced guys might be coaching them themselves, like hey, Absolutely. do this, and then you don't have to do it. You're like, hey, they they yeah. figured it out. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So it's a it's a to your point, it's a fine line, right? Like how because obviously you want them to, to use your technique or mm-hmm. you said your our technique, right? You know what I mean? And you want them to, to to buy into it and see why they're doing it, right? So to your point, like that's a like even from a technical standpoint, starting with why, hey, like this is why we gallop, you know, on the backside inside zone as opposed to you know opening and running, right? Mm-hmm. Because of movement because of, you know, power because of so on and so forth. Um, and I think when you, so whenever, so for example, like we had these four new transfers show up, you know, in June, right. You know, and, and, and we, we're going to count these guys to play for us. So we had to get them to speed really in about a month because obviously we're on, on vacation in July. Right. Yeah. So when we, when we, um, we didn't, we don't start teaching those guys plays and words because they're going to learn that shit anyways, you know, but they, right. they need to learn technique. It's almost like Legos, right? Like the, 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 your, your technique is a building box. I mean, you can kind of mix, mismatch those anywhere you need to to fit a gap scheme play or don't scheme play or wide zone play, whatever it is. Um, so when we create these like installation tapes for technique, um, you know, we have the, the, the technique name on a slide, how, you know, why we do it, how we drill it. Mm-hmm. And then we, it actually starts with NFL guys or high-level college guys doing it. And guys who are first-round draft picks or whatever, other schools. So they can see, oh, wow, like the Chiefs are using this technique and their guys are, are blocking guys. So obviously it works for them. Sure for me too. Or they're seeing, you know, Rashawn Slater do it, you know, out, out in, in San Diego. They're seeing, you know, whoever doing it, right? Then it comes back to, us doing it, right? And in uh, either scrimmage or practice or game film, you know. So it's kind of like you see the best in the world doing it, and you see yourself doing it, and you and of course using the, you know the big clips, right? So they see that they're it, it, it's successful. Um, now, probably one of the biggest things that I took away from my time in the NFL, um, and I kind of still kind of have this um, look at it the same way. Uh, throughout my coaching career is that your technique is your technique and there are certain things obviously that you know you teach and, and you want to be you know, kind of quote unquote hallmark, hallmarks of like you know when team when other coach watches you know your team play oh yeah they're coached by you know a guy that believes in this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, but the reality is that the expression of that technique throughout the, through the bodies that you're coaching is going to look different in almost every single body Right. And, and I learned this in the NFL, but I also learned it coaching small, you know, low level college football. My first full time job, I was coaching at Bryant, which at the time I just moved from D2 to FCS. 
And like my first or second year there, like we had two off conference guys. One was a one was a center, and one was a right tackle. Well, my right tackle was like a six foot seven, three hundred and fifteen pound. <laughs> you know, looked like he looked like a Boston College offensive line. Now he didn't move like that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it took him, it took him three or four years to kind of get it into a point where he was able to function. My point is like he looked very different. Our technique expressed itself very differently through that body than it did through our 5'9", 275-pound off-conference center. Right. Right, you know. So to expect those two guys to move the same way and, and hit things with the same, you know, kind of angles and whatnot just wasn't reality. Now, obviously, the size differences and the, the differences in athleticism are not as wide now, you know, at the FBS level, but it's still at times pretty wide. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, you, your number one goal is, is the kid doing a job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, did he, did he block the right guy and stop him from getting to the ball carry or just like on the given play when you're grading it, right? That's the number one thing. Now, they use technique properly, proper technique, all those things. Yes, yes, as well. But it's possible to have a positive performance play and have a negative technique play sometimes, like mm-hmm. happens sometimes, you know, so you don't want to lose. Um, the the performance to get the technique better, like I think sometimes. Right? So, so, but that, that's always a struggle that I think every coach fights with in their head, right? Like, you know. So, what we, how I try to sell to my guys is, hey, guys, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that like it's impossible to make that block without this technique, because it is, right? What I'm telling you is that the technique that we're coaching you is going to probably help you do it most, the most consistently, right? Play in, play out. Especially given all the variables you may see in front of you with movement, you know, slant and angling pressures, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and I think if they, if they believe that, then they're going to try and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, I had a kid, uh, our first spring here, uh, who was a returning starter who literally could not, like, they hadn't coached Gallup at all, I guess, before he got here. And the kid, like, literally was physically, incapable of galloping we call it we call it gallop a gap drive uh-huh. literally wasn't capable of ga- like he he would try and like take one, almost like fall over after one step it was like the weirdest thing ever like, it was like, it, it became a joke in the room actually like guys <laughs> would, 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 would bust his balls about it right um but you know what to the kid's credit he believed in, in, in the technique he believed in the coaching he worked at it on his own uh obviously the, well, the course of that of last summer because we come back to training camp last year and all of a sudden, he's able to gallop and do so at a pretty high level to the point where if you go back and look at, you know, our install tape for gap drive technique, he's on three or four of those clips, actually. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously he bought in right. and he and he, he believed um, that that was you know, the, the way to, to do it the best, I guess. Because he wasn't like always necessarily not making the block, not using, not using the, the technique, but not consistently, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, to me, like when you see those kind of examples, it, it, it shows you where I guess you're going the right direction. Well, and then, like you said earlier, not everybody's going to look the same. And that was a big problem mm-hmm. when I was younger. Like we all have to look the same. It has to like, why can't you do it? Or I could do it. Why yeah. can't you do it? Cause I'm, you know, I'm not super tall. I'm six, five, but like mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, I can do it. Why can't you do it? And then I started bouncing around. I wasn't coaching no line. I, I went to coaching quarterbacks. I went to coaching this. Then when I came back to O-line on that 2018 team that I worked for for a different head coach, I'm like, that's when I my eyes were open a little bit. And I'm like, okay, 
this kid can do this footwork, this kid can't. How can we get him to to go where we need to? And mm-hmm. that's another reason why I think O-line's the hardest one to do because you have to watch five guys and then figure out why is it not looking right and then figure out the one thing to change out of five guys. And that's why I talk to coaches all the time and they're like, yeah, I need to find an O-line coach. And I'm like, are there no O-line coaches? And they're like, well, it's the hardest thing to do because you got to watch all yeah. five guys at one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 funny. Like, I, I so I, I coached the tight ends uh, when I was at Miami the last two years, and like just grading a scrimmage or grading a game. Like, you know, we were an eleven, sometimes twelve personal team. Mm-hmm. So you're grading one, two guys tops. Like, man, I would grade a game in like forty five minutes. It was awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> now it takes me. You know, I say now. You know, now and before. You know, having the line. I mean, you would. It takes me three hours to grade right. because you got to grade it sad and everything, you know. So, yeah, it, it is hard, you know. But I think it's also probably one of the most rewarding, you know, positions yeah. coach because you do get uh, it's such a developmental position, um, and it's such it's such an unnatural yes. thing for most guys to, to, to do properly. And 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 let's face it, uh, it's getting better. But I think historically, it's one of the more poorly coached positions in high school. Right, and I mean, you can, like I go through recruiting and I watch practices and some, and you just hear guys just just go block the guy, and just go hit him, and it's like, well, that's that, that's not what the coach is really, you know. Um, I think it's getting a lot better than it has been historically, um, but it, it's still such a and, and quite frankly, most guys that play offensive line uh, early in their lives they don't want to play offensive line, right? They're, they're hanging on to the gym of being a, a big running back or a tight end or a linebacker or, or even a D lineman. Um, so they, so, you know, most of the good players come to the position late, uh-huh. right? Um, they probably didn't play in youth league. Uh, like I know for me, um, like I only played one year of youth football because I was too heavy. Yep. Cause, you know, cause down here it's, it's, well, it was at least back in the day, it was all based on weight, not uh-huh. age. Yep. Um, so you have, so you have a lot of kids that didn't, either didn't play or, or couldn't play, um, Youth football, so, so again, so it's, it's their best football still way ahead of them. So, um, different than coaching DBs, different than coaching receivers, where you know if you're fast, you're fast, and if you're fast as a freshman, you're going to probably fast as a senior too, right? You know what I mean? If you're explosive, you have great ball skills. That's not going to develop a whole lot more usually, you know, throughout the course of your your college career. But you know, the skill at which you play, you know, offensive line, and again, it's such a skilled position. And it's such a developmental position because you're also growing as well. Um, it's probably the most rewarding because you have guys. I mean, like like I mentioned that that right tackle I had a client that was an all conference kid and senior, a big kid. Mm-hmm. It was Ben Lyons. I mean, when I first got there three years prior, I mean, it was almost. A, I mean, the kids would bust his balls. I mean, he couldn't like stay on his own two feet in a, in, a, in a drill. He'd fall over. He'd go the wrong way. I mean, it was. I mean, he's a great kid, and he wanted to. He just his body wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet in development. But to, to the kid's credit. He worked and worked and worked and worked, and by the time he was a senior, he was in our conference game. Um, and that's, I, I think, stories like that is why you keep why you keep coming to the job at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, uh, that was that, that that kind of frustrates me when, like you said, when a coach goes, just go block somebody. So, since I played, I'm like, I try to make sure that I may never have a college recruit O lineman, but I like talking to all you guys because then I know what's being said, then I know mm-hmm. how to coach it. And then maybe whoever wherever I end up, if I take the terminology with me, even though I have my own, everybody's going to have their own, how they say things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, 
let's say one day I do. Like, I thought I was going to. Last year, we had a freshman that was 6'6", 290 pounds. And I'm like, ooh, maybe there's a college recruit one day. He becomes a junior, and he's still big. Maybe. But he he turned into a complete jerk, you know, in school. Mm. So that's – yeah. I know every time, every time I tell a line coach we had that as a freshman, their eyebrows raise up. They're like, really? But then they're like, <laughs> but then your guys' first question, what's he like in school? And I go, well, don't ask me yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't yeah. ask me that. Like, he, yeah. <laughs> like, don't even, don't even bother. And that's an asshole move of me, but I'm not going to waste people's time. Like, don't even bother. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, but I know that if I coach him, not quite like college, but I say certain things and like I'm very technical and do those things. I think it helps you guys with recruiting or when you do get them, like they have somewhat of an idea to mm-hmm. what's going on. Division three on, like it doesn't matter. And oh, yeah. so that's why I like talking to you guys. Cause some people don't, they're like, well, I'm going to say my own thing. I'm going to be old school and say, just block them. And I go, cool. Yeah. I want them to get blocked too. Don't think that I don't, but, but how are we going to get there? Like what's the best way to do it? Um, am I helping them if they do get recruited one day or, you know, I could talk to another O-line coach and I tell them how I talk and then they take it to their program and then they start doing it. It helps them. Like, I don't care. Like, how do I help college coaches out too one day if they come recruit them to make sure that mm-hmm. it's it's as painless as possible when they do get recruited? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's – it's. I think we're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to advance the game, right? You know what I mean? And, and help kids become better. And also <laughs> – do one of the probably one of the hardest, maybe outside of hitting a, a baseball at the major leagues, probably the hardest thing to do in sports. Right, you're going backwards, they're going forwards. They're better athletes. They're better athletes than you are, and you got to stop them from getting to a point that you can't even see in some cases. Right, right from a pass section. Um, that is that's that's hard to do, man. You know, so I, I yeah, I'm with you. I, I think um, it was funny because like I was talking to a couple uh, other wine coaches at camps this summer and, and, and recruiting in spring. You, know, you see guys at practices or showcases or whatnot. And um, the topic of like O-line trainers and like, and, like uh, training facilities and stuff uh, came up. And, and it's funny because a couple guys I talked to were very uh, opposed or very adamant in their opposition to the whole, you know, quarter, mm-hmm. uh, not quarterback, but um you know, training facility because you know there's a couple um, that are pretty predominant in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, um, it, it's becoming uh, a, a little bit more predominant down in South Florida now. Um, there's at least one guy I know that does a really good job, uh, and I have a totally different take on it. Like to me, and I, I know like we we spoke a little bit when I was on the podcast talking about like you know multi sport athletes and yes. that kind of stuff. You know, yep. and to me like. The more you're being active and the more you're doing online things, the better. I don't care if I'm coaching you or if, you know, Johnny, the trainer's coaching you. And even if they're coaching you to maybe do something a little bit different technically or a little bit, you know, whatever, I don't care because at least you're doing something online related because, because so much of what we do is muscle memory. And, mm-hmm. and even if your coaching points are a little bit different than mine, the muscle memory and the movement is still probably very, very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And to me, the to me, the more of that that they can do, I don't care whether it's guys recruit. Like there are there are some of my current players that when they go home for breaks, you know, in May or spring break, whatever it is, they go back and work with a trainer, mm-hmm. you know, once or twice, right? Um, 
And I'm completely fine with that. I, 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 I don't even bat an eye about it. In fact, I, I'm happy they do it because I'd rather they do that than spend a week on the couch eating Cheetos and playing PlayStation. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And, and quite frankly, in a lot of cases, I'd rather they do that than go put, rather they do that than go play pickle basketball at the park because I think that's a controlled setting, right? Where mm-hmm. there's probably less chance, of, less chance of getting injured than rolling an ankle or breaking a leg, you know, dunking a basketball, you know, playing a pickle basketball game on a blackboard somewhere. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally for it. You know, I, I, it's funny. And it's funny. I actually think that I mentioned that, like, cause I'm going to, I always compare like, you know, Ohio to South Florida, because this is my two recruiters and where, where I've known the most. Um, I think it's a big reason why some of the linemen, the line play, I think for the higher level recruits in the North, in the Midwest is a little bit higher than some of the guys down South, especially in Florida, because, like I can only name one, maybe two line, you know, like O line trainers in and like the the Tri County area in South Florida mm-hmm. that are that are reputable, and and they, and even those have only been really come to the forefront the last probably four or five years, whereas that's been a thing in the Midwest for years now. Like mm-hmm. kids have been a lot of play, you know, uh, regardless of weight, you know, playing. So like you know, linemen linemen start playing line earlier, and they're trained, you know. Uh, more technically and more fine, and that's why the line plays better, quite frankly, at the high school level. You know, and most of the schools uh, in the Midwest that visit down south. Uh, so to me, the more that they can do, the better. Yeah, um, there's a high school near here. They they have one in Illinois. It's an old line D line train. It's called Fist Football in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And what I like about them is. I've talked to them on here, and they're going to come do a joint practice with us. Their high school versus with our high school. What mm-hmm. they'll do is if a kid comes to them and says, I'm going to come here, I'm going to pay, they immediately say, what high school do you go to? They'll tell them, okay, who's your O-line coach? They'll reach out to that O-line coach and say, hey, your kid's going to come here. What do you want them to work on? Like That's awesome. Yeah, and he's like, do you run the wing T? Do you run the triple option? Are you a spread? Like, what do you do? And then they'll have a conversation about what they do, and then they might say, okay, we may also do this just adding more tools to their tool belt and they'll communicate mm-hmm. that with them. He's like, whatever you want, we're not here to say, Hey, I'm a GT guy. We're always going to run GT and we're going to train them that you may not run that play. So why am I teaching sure. them this? Yeah. And so I love how they go about it. D line. They're like, okay, well, how do you teach it? What's your techniques? What kind of defense? So they do go above and beyond to make sure that they're getting what the coach wants. Then also they communicate with the coach saying, what do you think about working on this too? And so, now, you know, it's not the school pain, it's the parents, but still they're working on that stuff. And that's why sure. I, res- I respect them. So I told them, hey, if I ever have a kid for me come to you guys, like I'm, you guys have a reputation now with that. So they, it's slowly growing. Like their thing is slowly growing, especially during COVID. They got to do it. Like during COVID, they were able sure. to do it. And so yeah. they got big. They've gone to California and worked with people just because of that little aspect that he's like, I'm surprised nobody thought of this. Like, why don't I just talk to the coach and see what they work on and just say, Hey, they're gonna get a little extra work. And, yeah. And it's out of their own pocket. You're not paying for it. And I'm going to make sure that they're working on what you do. And I'm like, that's a I great idea. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 that's obviously going above and beyond. And that's, that's really, really awesome on their part that they have that, that philosophy and, you know, we're, we're going to, not so much check in with, but like, you know, also have, you know, the current coach as a part of the process, you know, but I said, but even like, you know, it, it, even 
like signees, for example, like, you know, guys we sign in, in December or February, they aren't going to early enroll. So they're, you know, they have a whole semester and change, you know, back home before they enroll in the summer. You know, you know, like we, we signed a kid, uh, that plays baseball. Uh, we signed a, a kid that played basketball. Um, and you know, there, there were one of the questions that those, those families asked, you know, in the recruiting process, are you okay if I keep on playing baseball in the spring before I come in the summer or can I play AU basketball? I'm like, absolutely. Because if the option is you just sitting at home playing PlayStation in, in, in you know, hot Cheetos, then of mm-hmm. course I'd rather you. And yes, is there a risk of injury? I get it. But quite frankly, hopefully we're not counting on you to be a starter for us anyways as a true freshman. All right. And again, the risk outweighs the reward outweighs mm-hmm. the risk. Right. The reward of you being active, keeping up athletically, staying in great shape, you know, not getting a bunch of bad weight, you know, before you come on campus. That is, way more important and way more beneficial than the slight risk you might roll an ankle or, you know, throw your shoulder out or something like that. Right. Um, has, how much has recruiting changed? I was thinking of that earlier. Like, do you guys still go after the same amount of high school kids? Or is it like now you have to tra- count for that transfer portal too? Like, <laughs> you have to account for all of yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It's hard. Uh, I, you know – I think if you ask that same question to 20 coaches, you'll probably get 20 different answers, you know? Um, so it has changed. It has, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy question. So I think the way, I, the way that I'm trying to go about it here, uh, and, and have, I have much more support is, so I think in theory, you want to try and say, okay, you know, uh, if we normally would sign 30 kids, right? Mm-hmm. 30 high school kids, uh, at a, now, you know, on average, you're essentially cutting it in half. You're taking half high school kids, half portal kids. Now, that's not half down the middle per position, because mm-hmm. I think what we, I think what we've learned, especially this year, because the portal changed dramatically this cycle because of the windows. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, what that did is it it really made it harder for schools like us on the offensive line. Uh, I think there are certain positions especially the offensive school positions, running back receiver, where you can get quality players in the portal regardless of what level you're at as long as you want to look for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at offensive line, especially because even if you're a higher-level power five school, you can recruit a kid that will be a starter for us, and you're recruiting for depth purposes. Mm-hmm. And that kid that, – but that kid's still going to get NIL money. That kid's still going to get, you know, to say he plays at, you know, Ohio State or – you know, TCU or whatever. Um, so it's a lot harder. And when the portal was kind of less in a window format, our first year, we had a lot more success because you could outwork people in the portal mm-hmm. if, you, if you just kind of, if you were, if you were in it kind of day in, day out. Where now when, you know, a kid can only get in between, you know, December 1st and January 15th or whatever it was, um, even if even if Alabama, for example, wasn't in the market for a, an offensive lineman, but come January 10th, they were, right? They could just go online and print out everything in the portal, which you can't do for high schools necessarily, right? right? You know, so so I think for our position, it made it more challenging uh, than, than honestly than we were probably were expecting. Um, so I think you, you we want to get to a point where we sign a full number of high school offensive linemen in every recruiting class. So what is that number? Well, between three and four, probably depending on the year, you know what I mean? Right. So kind, of, kind of your average. 
Um, and then really probably only go into the portal when there is an immediate need and or you lose guys to the uh -huh. portal, right? So, for example, like, hey, you know, we have, you know, um, you know, 14, 15 guys on scholarship and, you know, three are graduating seniors. So we're going to replace those three with three high school kids. But in December, one of our sophomores tells us he's going to go in the portal because he's homesick or wants to go play somewhere, whatever. So now instead of replacing that number with a fourth high school kid, probably go try and find the best transfer you can find to kind of fill that, fill that, that hole, you know, um, in your depth. So I think that's, that's, that's the end goal for us in the offensive line and what we want to get to. Uh -huh. Um, but I think every year is different, you know, uh, so you, you, you have your best laid plans. Um, but you got to kind of roll the punches a little bit. You know, so like this year we were really, really active. So what we did was um, we signed a full high school class of three uh, offensive linemen, one from Ohio, one from Texas, one from Florida, um, which is normal. And then we also signed four transfers. Now that's a lot. Uh -huh. That's a lot. Uh, and they're and they're scattered. One's a grad transfer with one year. One's a grad transfer with two years remaining. And then two are undergrad transfers with three and four years remaining. So it really kind of scattered, scattered them around. They're the, the all four different classes. Right. Uh, and that was not necessarily by design, but it worked out well that way, quite frankly. Um, because it helped our, it helped keep our, our numbers kind of, you know, spaced out equally across the, uh, the, the, the depth. Right. Um, part of why we weren't so heavy into the portal was because we lost, uh, really, well, we lost four guys to the portal um, from our team last year, uh, three of which it was a mutual kind of discussion. Hey, like, we don't really see you playing here, but we'll, we'll, but we're happy to see you go somewhere else. We'll help you out. And those guys actually ended up being and ended up finding uh, homes that were, you know, from a optic standpoint, better than actually, mm -hmm. you know, bigger pro, bigger conferences or whatnot. Um and then we had uh, we had one uh, returning starter who um, was, was going to graduate and just you know was from a was from Texas, you know he's uh, engaged. Beyonce is in Texas. His whole life's in Texas. And he just felt like he wanted to be close to home, which you know, I perfectly understand. He was really the only offensive player that we lost to the portal that we didn't want to lose. Quite frankly, mm -hmm. you know, as a returning starting offensive lineman. But you understand why the first decision, you know, based off those criteria. Right. So because of losing all those guys, we had a, you know, we can't replace them all a freshman, obviously, right? You know what I mean? So we were very, very active in the portal. And we got some good players out of it. Some are going to help us immediately. Some are going to help us down the road. Um, but to sign for, for a school of our level, to find, identify, and sign for transfer portal offensive linemen is hard. Yeah. And I think I, I think by the end of it, most of the guys on staff saw the way it wore on me, especially uh, because it'd be one thing if you were just like, you know, not really active and kind of passive as a recruiter. That's not who I am at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I I chased every. I mean, I, it felt like you were like third and goal from the one yard line <laughs> from like January all the way until the last kid said yes and at, at, at the middle of May. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was how this year worked. Um, hopefully. Next year is different because next year hopefully we, we retain better. You know what I mean? And um and only have to go out there maybe your regular high school signings maybe one transfer or something. 
So you earned that vacation to Mexico is what happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> you have no idea. No idea. Because <laughs> that kind of back. But I think. No, go ahead. But I think I, I think that's a very, like, you know, talking to other G5, you know, offensive line coaches, you know, you know, through the spring and summer, like that's just kind of your existence now, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're constantly going to uh, be looking to replace because, quite frankly, your best players are going to probably, I don't say constant, but your best players are going to, some are going to leave, right? But opportunities, that's, is what it is, right? You know, um, and, but the supply, of quality players on the offensive line in the portal is not really high uh -huh. and demand is really, really high. So the market's out of whack, right? right. Which is actually the opposite with the high school, right? Like, high, like the supply of high school seniors playing college football or high school football has not gone down, uh -huh. but, but the man has gone way down. So like, we're actually able to find better, uh, um, high school options than we ever have before. Um, we're just taking less of them, right? you know, uh, which is kind of crazy. Well, that comes back full circle what this whole thing's been about. We didn't even get to X's and O's, but I'm, I'm more curious about everything else. But it yeah. goes back full circle on like we were talking about getting those kids to buy into what you're doing. If they're there, if they're a junior coming in, you got to quickly get them on board. But like you said, if you get other kids involved, because it's not the old school way where they come in as a freshman and, they're built up to juniors or so, and then they already know. Now, if you're getting guys coming in and out, it's how do you get them to buy in? How do you get them to understand what's going on? But if you have guys around them that know it, then it's an easier transition. Because I keep thinking of – because I feel bad for you guys. I keep reading things on this portal. I'm like, oh, these poor – I think of the coaches. I'm like, these poor coaches. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I think of it differently than everybody else. Everybody else looks at it as a fan. And I'm like, no, think about these coaches that are constantly like – Oh, this guy left. Now I got to do this. And then all of a sudden, right underneath your feet, well, this guy left now. I got to do this. Like, yeah. it's constant. It's, it's, it's a, um, I mean, it's, it's not ideal, obviously, but it's, it, it's Pandora's box is open and that you can't, you can't put it back in, you know? So, um, you know, I think what it does, it, 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 it forces us as coaches to do a couple things better. Uh -huh. Number one, you have to build, not a, not a culture, but just an environment yes. where yep. kids want to, where kids want to, A, come and B, stay, yep. right? And, and and even if you do that, like, even if we build the best environment possible at Akron and we're winning and coaches is awesome and guys like being around each other, which uh, we're, we're getting there. But even if you do all that and Ohio State comes in and says, hey, we want to pluck, you know, this, your left guard or your quarterback or your defensive end or whatever, and even if you do all that, most kids are, are still going to leave for that opportunity. But quite frankly, that opportunity does not come for as many, as many kids as it's making it out to be. Right. A lot of kids are leaving uh, just because, oh, you know, I'm not getting love, or you know. So you have to be very, very frank and and, and very and very honest with kids, and 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 be very honest and constant in your communication and your expectations. Like, I. I think I do a good job. I could do a better job, but I, I pride myself on communication with guys based off of their roles. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, like, you know, you're not a starter, but you're a rotation guy. So you're going to, you can, you can expect to play, you know, two or three series a half. 
right? You know, and 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 we and we rotate guys, right? You know, we, we try to play eight, nine, ten guys a game when we can, depending on how many guys are, are have earned it, right? Um, hey, you know, you're not there yet. You're a scouting guy right now, but like I mentioned, that left tackle was started the last couple games for us, and he was a scouting guy for the first five games of the season. He didn't even get a rep up, up, up on the main field, right? And then eventually we brought him up and rotated in. It was started, you know. Um, so clear expectations of, you know, where you are, you know, and how can you get better from your current role? You know, I think it's, and, and that can just happen in training camp. That happens throughout the course of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Expectation. The worst thing you want to do is for a kid to think, okay, I'm not, I'm not a star, but I'm going to, I'm going to play 25 plays a game, right? You go to the kid's hometown, he, you know, there's 20, you know, uh, high school teammates and, and, and family members in the stands and the kid doesn't play. Right. And now, you know, parents are pissed off. It, that projects on the kid. Kids pissed off. That projects on you. And then the, the whole thing falls apart. Now, if that kid knows he's not going to play according to the game, and that, quite frankly, he's probably not going to be as adamant about getting as many people to come to the game, quite frankly. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's all about communication. So it, 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 it's, it makes that more important on our, on our end. Number one. Number two, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, I think I, I think I kind of referenced this a little bit when we talked last time. It makes it more incumbent upon you to do as much homework as you possibly can and background on what you're bringing into your program because you don't want to recruit your own problems, obviously, right? And that is so much harder to do with transfers than with high school guys right now because of the windows, mm-hmm. right? Like a guy goes in the portal on on you know January twelfth, and your school starts January fifteenth. And you got to get him enrolled in school. He fits a need that, you know, athletically, how fast can you do background and talk to his high school coach, talk to, we got to coach them at, you know, at the last school, you know, do you have someone that you can talk to on the, on the last staff that will give you honest answers and not just tell you, yeah, he's a good kid or whatever or he's not, you know, and maybe it's not the, it's not the line coach. Maybe it's the defensive GA that works in the scouts and maybe it's, you know, the string coach. So like literally like, if there's a kid that we want to recruit out of the portal, it goes into our our, our whole staff chat. Like our recruitment guys, our operations people, our recruiting staff, our string staff. Hey, does anyone know anybody at you know whatever Washington State University? Because there's, there's a kid that we want we that's need, but we don't want to take it. You know, a turd. And then you know our QC may say, "Oh yeah, I know the GA there." Let me hit, or the string coach. Oh yeah, I know their string coaches. So it's not just it's truly a team effort, you know. But it is speed dating. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, these, these these processes get put into the microwave, and you're recruiting, signing, visiting guys all within a very short, condensed, kind of stretched out window. As opposed to in high school, you have a whole year cycle mm-hmm. of visiting kids in the spring, watching play, talking to coaches, watch a couple game films, uh, watch for practice, watch play basketball. You know, um, that's not happening with transfer guys. So. It does put a lot more onus on you know doing your homework and not trying to bring your and not trying to your own problems. Because you don't want to you you don't want to recruit somebody who's leaving who's running from competition or running from a problem. Right. right? You want to recruit somebody that's looking for greener path. You know, it's like in general, I have a I have a general thumb for me for linemen. I don't want to recruit a kid who's going into the portal after less than three semesters at the school. To me, you know, you got for three semesters, you had a coaching change, you know, my role's not what I wanted to be. I tried, you know, at least you put forth some effort and tried, paid your dues, and it's not going to work out. Now, I say that we did sign one kid in this cycle 
but only spent two semesters in his last school. But that I that kid I recruited at a high school for the for the whole process. Knew the family, knew the kid really well. Like you know, I, there's a lot of history there, right? You know, so that that's a little bit different different scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's when you're as active in the portal as you have to be at the at the G five level. Which let's face it, you're going you you, you have to, it's going to put a lot of pressure on you uh, to do a lot of homework and make sure you're not bringing in you know guys who don't want to be around your program, you know, and we haven't had a ton of those issues so far. Thank God, not kind of wood. But I'll be honest with you, if I sat here and told you that we've batted a thousand so far on every kid we brought into our program, both high school and transfers in the last, you know, two cycles, um, they're all great players and all great kids and all don't bring any baggage. I'd be lying to you, mm-hmm. you know, um, but the goal is to minimize that as much as possible. Well, like I said, you earned that Mexico trip and you probably earned a pay raise. You better go to coach and be like, hey, come on now. <laughs> Well, we'll see how the how the how the, the, the year pans out before we get to that point. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you make a bowl game, be like, okay, look, I get a pay. Oh yeah, well, that's, yeah. I think I think if you get to that point, then I think everyone's probably in line for <laughs> for a nice little nice little Christmas bonus or something. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just doing for you what I do at the high school. I'm the social media guy now for the football thing. So I'm like, where's my stipend? Where's my social nice. media stipend? <laughs> Because I have to take pictures yeah, of everything and post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Because I took it upon myself. I was the idiot. I was like, hey, this is the new world we live in. We got to get on social media. So I'm doing oh, yeah. it. I'm trying to figure out how to edit stuff. And I'm an idiot. And so I don't coach defense. So as soon as defense is going, I'm taking pictures. I'm filming. And I'm like, where's my stipend? I went, where's the athletic director at? I need a raise <laughs> because this is an extra job. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, it's funny. Not to go off on a, on a sidebar, but that's one of the things – so I, I'll give an example. We hired a new – I mentioned that I had a GA the last two years. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Rob Delaney, he's now um, in a support role um, as a QC of Notre Dame, which is, which is huge for him. It's a kid from Chicago, I imagine. You know, mm-hmm. Catholic High School in Chicago, now he's associated at Notre Dame. Um, so we, we interviewed um, a couple of candidates to replace him, and we hired a, a young man named Zach Woodkey, who had been a student assistant and um, – like an intern um, at uh, at Ohio State, uh, ROC, uh, Billy Fessler was at Ohio State, and they kind of worked together a little bit. So he became obviously highly recommended. Um, and when I heard that, my immediate concern was, oh, I'm not sure if I want to hire a guy coming from Ohio State because that's a not, not that it's a, it's a great program. Obviously, you know, Coach Dale's guys have a hell of a job, but it's one of those programs where you have a support staff of a hundred people, right? So everyone's got a very very small piece of the pie that's all they kind of deal with, right? But when I talked to Zach and I did some uh, uh, research on his background, you know, he worked in recruiting, he worked in video, he worked in, you know, uh, he worked with the kicking game, you know, helped out as, as a, an analyst or whatever with the, with the kickoff attorney units and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that and then I talked to him, I said, listen, I said, you know, this is, you know, being a GA at the G5 level, uh, same as, as you know, even being a full timer at the FCS level, like part of the part of the great thing about it, but also part of the pain in the ass about it is that you you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. So, like for example, like when you're when you're the GA at Akron, like you're not just going to work with me. Like you're going to be doing drawings for the whole offense. You're going to be doing you, you, you know doing recruiting, you know, making runs to the airport because we don't have a full recruiting staff. You're going to be doing you know edits, you know, sometimes on on Photoshop or whatever because you know we need help with that. We're going to be doing like so. You're gonna wear a lot of hat. You're gonna have to set up videos sometimes. You're gonna put up the, put in the data, you know. So 
Yeah, we have like the bare bones of all those departments, but not as robust as Ohio State or Michigan or whatnot. Um, so A, are you okay with that? Yes. Okay. And B, like that's going to help you because when you do go get, you know, your next job, hopefully pretty soon, it's not going to be, well, I don't even know how to do this. Like you, like you'll be qualified for not just being your line GA at your next job, but also being a skills GA, a team GA, uh, you know, a, a recruiting for whatever. So I think that's, I think. Coaches at our level, I say our level, not the non P five level, probably have a lot more in common with that, mm-hmm. um, with, with the high school experience than the power five because you do have to work, do have to be able to do a lot more, you know, wear a lot more hats on a given day, right? Like you know, you're you know a football coach, but you're also like the assistant, you know, academic coordinator. <laughs> you're yeah. you're helping, you know, you're helping with class checks. You're helping with you know what's going on with with, with study hall. You're helping with the swing staff sometimes breaking up stuff and, and, and setting stuff up for workouts, um, which would never happen, you know, at, you know, if you're coaching or in a coaching role, you know, at Illinois or at Nebraska or whatever. Right. So it's good and bad. Well, and we're also therapists. These kids will come to you with all their problems. And oh, all yeah. of a sudden you're a psychologist therapist and you're like, well, why don't you go talk to the counselor? Well, I don't want to. I want to talk to you. Okay. Yeah. And then I have to tell them, I'm not qualified to fix this problem. I'm going to try. Then they tell you the problem. And you're like, oh, hell no. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like The funny, you know, it's really funny to say that. Uh, a really good buddy of mine, uh, Mike Zuckerman, is the uh, linebackers coach at Utah State. Uh, and, and, and Zuck's really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, but he had been um, at Miami uh, for like 10 years, essentially, and in, he was a student assistant that became a GA, that became an ant, that became a QC and an analyst and a senior analyst. So he had, mm-hmm. had like pretty much every support staff job he could have, you know, on the coaching side at Miami before he got his first full time job at Utah State a couple years ago. Um, and I talked to him, I think it was after the first spring. He was, it was like within his first year. And, you know, I asked him, I, I, I said, hey, you know, what's, what's been the biggest surprise or the biggest thing you probably want to prepare for, you know? And, and him, him and I spoke a ton when he was at Miami because, you know, I've been a full time before he had not been. So we about the differences between that and kind of what to expect. And the one thing he said was, you know, like, I was not prepared for how much counseling, how much psychotherapy, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, came with the job. It's like, you know, because when you're, when you're the GA, the QC, you're the fun coach, right? You're, you're the young guy. You're the one that did the sets of drills and can talk to them and can, you know, adapt them by the sidelines, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But, but they don't come to you when, you know, grandma's sick in the hospital or when they have the girlfriend pregnant or when they're upset with their playing time. They don't come to you for that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, you hit, there probably should be a, uh, some kind of a mental health or a mental counseling component to the job going forward because it's becoming more and more of that for sure. Oh, yeah. And then, in one of my offices at the school, we do have a this couch looks like a therapy couch. So sometimes, I'm like, oh, just go sit on there. I'll be there in a second. Like, just relax. <laughs> or like, the best is when they come to me and they say, "Hey, I got to study for a test. Can you help me?" And they come in, they're taking like algebra, geometry, and I'm looking at it going, "Well, I'm an idiot. I don't know what the hell you're doing. I don't know what this is." <laughs> But I'm going to try, and then you try to help them, and you go, this is why I didn't teach math or go into math or or whatever. And they're like, oh, come on. I'm like, go to a tutor. But they don't trust them. Like, we trust you as a coach. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why I'm coaching and not math. Like, there's a reason. I'm not doing this for you. But they do. They'll come to you for everything. 
Yeah, they do. And, and it's usually a good thing for me to trust you, obviously, but it's, 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 it's really hard for them sometimes to, it's really hard for your other support staff members sometimes, I feel, to earn their trust the same way we do because yeah. I think it's, we demand it probably so much more, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, we all kind of joke, you know, if, if, if football coaches ran the world, we'd be so much more efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes they, 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 they don't trust or don't see the immediacy with the results of the trainers or the mm-hmm. you know support staff or as much as with us because it's not what they do for a living, it's what we do for a living. That is true. And they do see us more, I guess. They see yeah. you every day. Yeah. Or especially for me, if I'm in the hallway, they'll see you. Or for me, even I coach basketball too, so they'll see me for another sport. So it's like, oh, they're I'm mm-hmm. always I'm always around. I told them that too. I'm like, sure. you'll never get rid of me. I'm always yeah. here. And especially if you're always if you're always the same person when you're around, and that really, really earns their respect and trust because it's consistency over time. And then they trust that it's consistency over time. That's all it is, right? You know, and that's that's I think what a lot of people miss out sometimes. Yeah, I do the best I can with that, and I become more truthful. And they hate that, but then I think they also respect it sometimes. Like it's hard to hear, and they'll get mad at you, and then they'll come back to you the next day and still talk to you. And I'm like, well, this guy's gonna tell me the truth. And it's going to be hard to hear. And I told parents, I like, I'm going to tell you the truth, and it's going to hurt. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's also part of what you know the buck stops with you when you're when you're when you're when you're you know the coordinator or the full time coach, as opposed to the GA or the QC or the you know whatever. It's, you know, I, I tell you a funny story about that. Um, when I was at Bryant, so Bryant was an FCS school that was essentially still operating like a D two operation when we got there. So. I forgot how many full-time coaches we had, but essentially I was the line coach, but I was also technically in charge of running backs and tight ends. We had a tight ends coach and a running backs coach that were like local, like high school teachers. Mm-hmm. And they would come over in the afternoons. They'd be there for like the last half of meetings and then for practice. So really they weren't there for the game plan. They weren't there for practice prep. So it was hard. I mean, really it's a hard job for those guys because they're kind of walking in almost like kind of like half cocked sometimes, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and not knowing what's going on. So I, I, I did not envy that. But my point is, so because of that, like, you know, extra interviews and, you know, like that, you know, end, end of the year stuff, like for backs and tight ends and no line all kind of fall on me. We had a tight end, uh, my second year there, I think it was named Matt Tracy. And Matt's like a really successful real estate person now. He was in Colorado. He's got kid, married kids. I mean, he's, 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 he's kicking ass in life. Um, and Matt was coming up. He was, I think, a sophomore or junior. And he was like all conference, like second team that year. And but he was really a pass catching tight end. And we were a two back power offense. So obviously the two things didn't always go hand in hand, right? You know, um, he was a matchup nightmare. He could run, he had really good ball skills. And in that conference, in, in, in the Northeast Conference, I think he was really hard to cover. But he was a huge liability to run game for us. Uh, was was a really poor line blocker, and was really at times almost unwilling as an off line blocker. So we have our end of the year meeting, um, and we had a good. We were like seven four, had a good year, you know, compete for the conference championship. But he comes in the meeting kind of lighthearted, and was expecting me to tell him how great he was. I think, uh-huh. and I told him, listen, you know, at straight the year a great pass catcher and stuff, and I'm not gonna. Harp on that, that, that. I mean, when you meet with the head coach, he'll go over that. But I'm talking to you as a blocker. It's like, we got the game plan around you and plan on you screwing it up. Like, you're a really piss poor blocker and you are a liability for us in our offense because we you know we're a 21, 12, 13 personnel, you know, gap scheme offense and you're not that. 
Right. And, and so he was actually taken aback by it. And I think, to your point, I think he was a little offended mm-hmm. and didn't like it and it didn't take it right. And I was like, I'm not telling you I like it. I'm just telling you how I see it. You know, n- numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. You, know, walk, you know, put on tape and watch the film. I don't care how many passes you caught, whatever. So, you know, if we're, if we're third 13 every third down, don't matter how many passes you catch, right? We're not, we're not winning games. And, uh, to the kids' credit, I think because he was so competitive and wanted to be wrong, wanted to prove that, that he, you know, he, he could do it. Right. He got bigger, he got stronger, had a great offseason and came back the next year. He was never like a dominant blocker, but he became a much more functional, like a non-liability to run game later on in his career. And to this day, he will DM me on Twitter or on, or on Instagram or text me like a picture of him, like, you know, blocking somebody or whatever from like, you know, because Brian will post like some old pictures or whatever. He'll be like, see, see, great blocker, right? Like, you know, like almost like, like poking my nose in, which I love because he did become a, a serviceable blocker and it may not have happened if it wasn't for that meeting. Right. So, you know. Yeah, I, I tell I tell kids too, like if I tell them the truth and it hurts and I go, hey, but I want you to prove me wrong. Like, and I want you to come up to me and tell me you proved me wrong. And guess what? I'm going to shake your hand. Like, it's not personal. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not personal. And I want you to do well. I want you to prove me wrong. And when you do, come tell me, and I'm going to say congratulations. You're doing way better than I thought, or you're doing better than me. Like, I want you to do better than me. And 100%. everything I tell them, I want you to have a house, money, pool. I want the nice car. Yeah. Invite Coach Steve over to the pool sometimes. Like, you know, and when you do prove me wrong, because I've told kids, like, I don't know if you're going to make it in life the way you act. I've straight up said that to kids. Like, the way you act in school, mm-hmm. the way you this, you will not make it in life. Something bad's going to mm-hmm. happen. And if you prove me wrong, I want you to send me a message and say, look, I have this job. I did this. You're wrong. And I'm going to say, that's awesome. That is awesome. I was very, very fortunate in uh, from 2016 to 2018, I worked for Mark Rick at Miami. Uh-huh. And it's funny because, you know, Mark is um, completely as advertised. A man of God. doesn't cuss. doesn't raise his voice very often. I mean, Everything you read here about Mark Brick is completely true. Like he is one of the probably the only people I've ever worked with in his profession who is, you know, what some would consider a quote unquote Bible thumper, mm-hmm. very religious, very spiritual, but literally walks the walk and talks the talk. Mm-hmm. He lives that. I mean, he is a hundred percent lives what he preaches. Um, so my point is when I worked with Mark, those years in Miami. He was in the process of trying to clean up Miami's program. Uh-huh. You know, there was some cultural things that had to get fixed. There was a little bit of lack of, lack of discipline in the program, those kind of things. And I actually didn't think Mark was the right person for the job, being an alum, because I saw, you know, this kind of like God squad kind of, you know, maybe being too nice uh-huh. to these kids who were going to take advantage of them. And I was completely wrong. He had a phenomenal ability to hold kids accountable, to be to be disciplined, um, without dog cussing them or without you know demeaning them or whatnot. Um, and quite frankly, he actually kicked a few kids off the team that needed it. You know, and in those meetings when he did it with the parents and the kids, he was great because he would say, "Listen, I'm hoping, and I, I can give you a list of names of guys at Georgia, guys at Florida State, when I coached as an assistant that." got kicked off the team for, you know, immature, dumb, repeated things, you know, whatnot, but then use it as a learning a learning tool 
and were able to kind of get their lives back in order um, and are now being hyper successful, either playing at other school in the NFL or in life. And I, and I get messages all the time from you guys saying, Coach, thank you so much for, for booting me from Georgia because if it wasn't for that, I would never have you know been able to like learn what I learned now. Now I'm a great husband, I'm a great father, I'm working this job or I'm in the NFL or whatever it is. And it's true. I mean, like there's guys that, you know, there's some guys who boot up and never learn, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of guys that either you threaten them with it and they shaped up and become really, really good, you know, citizens and good players. Um, or they went somewhere else and got their lives in, in order and are, are, are killing it, you know, at, at those places now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to your point. Hello? Yeah, you're still there. Oh, sorry. That's right here. So, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, I think that that's sometimes, you know, like we say sometimes, we, you got to be honest and almost really honest sometimes. Sometimes the honesty, it means you got to go somewhere else. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's okay sometimes. Yeah. Well, Coach, I realize how long I had you on here. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming <laughs> on here. Sorry there was no X's and O's, but I love talking everything else because X's and O's are all the same. I like talking everything else in between. I think, uh, I think that I think the X's and O's are overrated anyways. I think sometimes you won't, you won't, well, not, not, not sometimes, all the time. You win with people, not with plays. So yeah. I, th- I think you're on to it. Well, Coach, I appreciate you. You earned all the vacation time in the world, in my opinion. Um, uh, good luck this season again if I don't talk to you beforehand. Um, but thanks for coming back on the podcast. And uh, I'll put your Twitter and everything for everybody else to follow. And everybody watch Akron this year. I think they might win some more games this year, I think. We definitely will. Thank you so much, but I really appreciate it. Yep, thank you so much.